Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. on the dot. 26th of May 2021. This is episode 426 of Bitcoin and ARK Invest buys nearly $20 million worth of Bitcoin. I guess Kathy Wood just decided not to not to screw around here. We're going to get this one out of Bitcoin Magazine. Sorry to dump right into the news, but hey, what else is there to say? This is a news show, man. Come on, man. I'll bring you the news in the morning so you don't run into a tree on your morning commute. So, report says ARK Invest buys nearly $20 million worth of Bitcoin, and this is written by Aluwapalumi Adijumo. Trying real hard with the pronunciation this morning, ladies and gentlemen. The recent price dips of Bitcoin have given many investors the chance to accumulate Bitcoin at a relatively low price. For instance, asset manager or management company ARK Investment Management, led by Kathy Wood used the chance to snap up almost $20 million worth of Bitcoin. Quote, according to a filing with the U.S. SEC, ARK Invest, a hedge fund focusing on innovative development, has purchased $19,872,939 worth of Bitcoin, BTC manager reported, without revealing a specific time of the investment. Wood has been a longtime believer in the value of Bitcoin, recently saying that the asset's $1 trillion market capitalization is nothing compared to where it will ultimately be. ARK's decision to buy the dip might signal that other savvy institutions are or plan to do the same. Quote, blockchain data reveals that major investors remain optimistic about long-term prospects and accumulate coins on dumps per BTC manager. Uh, quote, Kathy Wood said that Bitcoin is likely to grow after the recent price drop. These drops are not uncommon and they can be very healthy to exploit during bull runs. So sophisticated investors are now returning to accumulate, end quote. Institutions like Tesla, MeToo, Square, and a host of others recently made significant Bitcoin investments. All right, well, so Kathy Wood, we've been hearing her name a lot lately, has pulled the trigger. on $20 million worth of Bitcoin. She got it at a bargain price too, by the way, uh, because I doubt she bought the top. But we'll have to wait and see what the actual data says as to when the purchase occurred, at what price they were able to pick it up for, because they'll have to report, you know, they'll, they'll have to report all that sooner or later. And they'll either do it voluntarily or they'll have to put it on, uh, their quarterly reports for the, uh, SEC filings. In either event, we'll find out, but uh, they I doubt very seriously that they bought it at 60 grand. Let's just say that. I'm, I'm pretty sure they accumulated somewhere around, I'm going to guess that they accumulated around, I don't know, 33. If she was real lucky, she caught 32 or something like that. We'll have to see, but uh, at least she's not blowing smoke. Because she's been in the news the last couple of weeks about how this is she's Ark Invest is gonna do Bitcoin and well <clears throat> she uh, she did not disappoint. Let's just say that one. Speaking of disappointment, Michael Saylor says Bitcoin Mining Council required to combat hostile narrative. Brian Quarmby has it from Coin Telegraph. Uh, Micah Strategy CEO Michael Saylor has explained the details and thinking behind the formation of the Bitcoin Mining Council. The council was formed. Oh, my God. I formed a council yesterday, too, by the way, just because I I, it's now formed because I said it. All right. This is the most ridiculous. Whatever. Okay. The council was formed on May the 25th after Saylor brokered a successful meeting between Elon Musk and several top North American Bitcoin mining firms. 
The miners involved will provide current and planned renewable usage transparency and will lobby other mining operations across the globe to do as well. Speaking at the Virtual Consensus 2021 conference, Saylor emphasized that the council was formed out of the need to provide greater transparency on the Bitcoin mining industry and promote sustainable initiatives moving forward. Quote, the only reason we had the meeting is because we wanted to ensure the success of a decentralized cryptocurrency and the source and of decentralization is energy usage, a sailor said. Quote, it turns out that Bitcoin miners don't actually have a good forum for communicating how they generate their energy. We don't have a standard model for Bitcoin energy usage right now, and we don't have a future forecast model that we commonly use, end quote. <clears throat> However, the Bitcoin Mining Council has proven controversial in some quarters with comparisons to the oil production cartel OPEC. Podcaster Marty Bent, co-founder of Great, Great American Mining, which utilizes wasted gas from energy plants to power its Bitcoin mining operations, drew comparisons to the controversial Bitcoin scaling plans emerging out of the 2017 New York Agreement and <clears throat> in his May 24th newsletter, quote, do they not recall the last time there was a closed-door meeting that involved stakeholders who attempted to speak on behalf of the entire industry? End quote. But Saylor was quick to rebuff notions that there was anything clandestine or non-transparent about the meeting. Quote, if it was a secret meeting, I wouldn't have told millions of people the next day that it was a secret meeting. Trust me, you know, we told everybody in the world that we had a meeting. You didn't say you were going to have a meeting. You said it after the fact. Sorry, Mike. By definition, secret meeting. I just the, the the bullshit here is just it's astounding. He emphasized the need to fight back <clears throat> against a hostile anti-crypto narrative portrayed by some institutions and media outlets. Quote, "We need to make sure the people that are hostile to Bitcoin and hostile to the crypto industry aren't defining those narratives and defining those models and defining those metrics." In the absence of any good information or any response on our part, they will define those models, end quote. The council, made up of North American miners, including Argos Blockchain, BlockCap, Galaxy Digital, High Blockchain, HUT8 Mining, Marathon Digital, and Riot Blockchain. Saylor revealed that after a very long conversation with Elon Musk, the MicroStrategy CEO reached out to the Bitcoin mining firms and asked if they'd like to meet the entrepreneur. During the constructive meeting, and constructive is in quotes, the other attendees reportedly asked Musk for advice on how to combat the growing carbon anxiety surrounding Bitcoin. Oh, God, that's just sad. Quote, we asked Elon for his advice about how we might actually manage concerns in the mainstream. <clears throat> we had a detailed conversation about it. We talked about how we might be able to surface better data, end quote. Musk's reported first order ask was, can we come up with a way to publish or create transparency for Bitcoin mining energy usage? And Saylor echoed the sentiment when he stated, quote, I think the first step is let's come up with a protocol for us to publish energy information in a way that we can share it with the world and then work together to make sure that we pursue sustainable energy goals. Okay. This is just, I don't know. I just smell a load of horse shit. I hate to say it. But I, I mean, this is my gut feeling. It's just, I, it's like LARPing. I really do think that this is just a bunch of LARPing because what would have happened had this Bitcoin Mining Council not gone forward? We would have done what we've been doing for years, combating the FUD ourselves. <laughs> you know, and then the FUD, and then like, like eventually this bull run is going to end. I, I'm less and less convinced that there's going to be a super cycle this time around. I'm not saying that a super cycle can't happen. I'm just saying I see way too many hallmarks of the 2017 bubble, uh, uh, the 2017 bull, 2016, 2017 bull run. And I'm seeing a lot, since I'm seeing a lot of the same hallmarks, I'm just going to go ahead and assume that we're just going to have a normal cycle. But this bull run, I don't think is over yet. Um, we'll end up in some complete hysterics, and then there will be a complete blow-off top because this one doesn't look like the blow-off tops from 2013 and uh, 2017. It just it looks different, right? So it kind of leads me to believe that we're kind of in for the rest of the cycle. 
and then we'll get a blow off top. And then everybody will publish their Bitcoin is dead articles. The FUD will turn to something else and then we'll all be quiet like we were in 2015 and the beginning of 2016. We'll all be talking amongst ourselves. All the building will still be done. It's just that the mainstream media will probably get bored and move on to how your pets are an environmental disaster. And believe me, I, I actually saw that article this morning scrolling through Twitter. It was amazing. Your, your, your cat and your dog more environmentally destructive than you might think. I'm serious. They will, they will literally latch onto anything. My God, drywall going to kill us all. You know, it's, that's how these people think. <clears throat> In either event, with or without the Bitcoin Mining Council, Bitcoin would have guessed what produced blocks every 10 minutes. Unless there was like a decrease of major hash power and then it would wait a couple of weeks and then readjust by the difficulty adjustment and then guess what? Produce blocks every 10 minutes. And then a whole bunch of people will come on and put their miners on and, and then blocks go really, really fast. And guess what? After the difficulty adjustment, blocks come in every 10 minutes. That's why this is LARPing. This is just live action role play, dude. This means nothing. It's... It's like a fool upon the stage that, you know, is full of sound and fury, but in the end mean nothing. Yeah, it's like kind of like from Shakespeare. That's just bullshit. Okay, so <clears throat> I would I would not worry about this whole Musk and, you know, and Michael Saylor thing. I wouldn't give it really much much credence. Uh, we should watch it to see what they're doing, but honestly, blocks are going to come in every 10 minutes whether Michael Saylor changes Elon Musk's diapers or not. Continuing on, Square Crypto Steve Leave <clears throat> Lee on developer grants, energy FUD, and Bitcoin 2021. This is from Bitcoin Magazine. Peter Chihuahua is writing it. Let's see what Steve has to say. Multi-billion dollar financial services company Square touches Bitcoin in several ways. First, it holds more than 8,000 BTC on its balance sheet. Its mobile payments platform, Cash App, which lets users buy Bitcoin instantly, netted some $495 million in gross profit in the first quarter of 2021. And its CEO, Jack Dorsey, also runs the most popular social media platform for Bitcoin discussion in Twitter. No, But no arm of the company is more directly involved in fostering the Bitcoin network than Square Crypto. This branch, led by project manager Steve Lee, provides educational content like the Book of Bitcoin Mythology, attempts to improve the energy consumption of Bitcoin mining through a clean energy initiative, and propels technical work on the Bitcoin protocol and its second layers through development kits and financial grants for developers. In early 2020, Square Crypto established a model of supporting free and open source software projects for Bitcoin, and its greatest impact may be in how other industry stakeholders have adopted the model as well. Quote, I'm extremely pleased with the growth of funding and support for open source Bitcoin work. All but one of our grantees are being funded for the first time, which has led to a substantial increase in the overall open source Bitcoin talent pool. Organizations like the Human Rights Foundation, Brink, OKCoin, OK BitMEX, Kraken, Paradigm, Gemini, and Coinbase have followed suit. The result is a much more robust support base with the power to sustain development for a long time to come, end quote. In addition to these grants, Lee pointed to Square Crypto's Bitcoin and Lightning development kits, as well as its Bitcoin design guide, as resources that will expedite high-quality Bitcoin applications. He said that he's seeing developers use these tools to build products that will be launched this year, potentially driving an explosion of new applications built with them over the next few years. At the moment, it seems that many institutional groups of Square's size of Square's size that are involved in Bitcoin are being forced to reckon with a general misunderstanding about the network's energy consumption. Oh joy. While Bitcoin mining is an energy intensive practice practice, it is one that drives significant renewable energy use and it barely scratches <clears throat> the carbon emissions of industries like the legacy financial sector. Recently, Square published a white paper laying out the case for a clean energy future driven by the incentives unique to Bitcoin. That vision appears to be in line with Lee's at Square Crypto as well. Quote, I am confident that Bitcoin is not a threat to the environment. In fact, I believe the Bitcoin miners could be the catalyst for converting the entire energy grid to renewables. 
The level of concern about Bitcoin's energy consumption is understandable, especially since it is often framed without context. If you take what is reported at face value, you might conclude that Bitcoin cannot scale without consuming astronomical amounts of resources. But this is not accurate. Technologies like the Lightning Network make Bitcoin capable of handling exponentially more transactions without consuming any additional energy, and that's just one example. Lee will be sharing more of his thoughts on the present and future of the network at the upcoming Bitcoin 2021 event. When asked what critical conversations should be taking place there, he had a simple and straightforward response demonstrating a decidedly maximalist point of view. Quote, why proof of work is essential to decentralized money. There is simply no substitute, he said. Lee will share more about Square Crypto's work during the Bitcoin 2021 conference in Miami on June 4th and 5th. And that's coming up pretty quick, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure that you set a reminder for the Bitcoin 2021 Day 1 YouTube live stream and for the Bitcoin 2021 Day 2 YouTube live stream now. And they have uh, links to both of those uh, future live streams in this particular article. So, <clears throat> well, at least Steve gets it, at least for now. I I just assume that these guys are going to flip-flop all over the place, depending on which way the wind blows. It's like their sails in the wind. You know, they, they don't have any spine of their own, so they just basically go in the direction of which way, whichever way the wind blows. And I hate to be so, I don't know, asshole-ish about it, but I don't trust any of these people, man. I just don't. And the more billionaires that come in that pile into Bitcoin... And, I, you know, hey, great. Number go up technology confirmed. But otherwise, I don't trust any of them. I don't like any of them anymore. I mean, I used to like Mike, but after he pulled this bullshit, <clears throat> I'm not really that much of a fan. Maybe he'll do something in the future that will change my mind. I don't know. But for right now, I'm awfully, awfully skeptical of all these people entering the space. Now, this could be complete bullshit. All right, and it could be that I, I could be accused for adding to the FUD, but it's something that's in the news. We might as well address it now and find out if this shit is true or not later, okay? But keep your eye on this one because Iran has banned all crypto mining for the summer, <clears throat> according to a report. Now, this is out of Coindesk. Daniel Palmer's writing it and says, amid power shortages caused by a lack of rain, Iran is again clamping down on cryptocurrency mining. The president, Hassan Rouhani, has said mining operations must cease until September the 22nd due to the load they place on the national power grid, according to a report from Iran Front Page on Wednesday. Rouhani said authorized miners use only 300 megawatts of electricity, while unauthorized operations use around 2,000 megawatts, However, the temporary ban applies to all miners, he said. The unusually dry spring has left Iran without the hydropower shortages or with hydropower shortages that they have already prompted clampdowns on the local crypto mining industry. Earlier this month, the energy ministry said miners using domestic power for their operations would face heavy fines and may have to pay damages. <clears throat> it's also been reported that the country's intelligence agency has been recru recruited to track down illegal miners. <laughs> Does the future always have to be dystopian? Does it always have to go this way? I, the need to halt all mining may come as a blow to Iran's coffers since the state has been using locally mined cryptocurrency to bolster revenues amid tough international sanctions. Okay, so that last point is one of the reasons why this could be complete and utter bullshit whether internally released from Iran's Ministry of Information or whatever you want to call it, or external FUD that's been placed upon them by people who literally have no idea what's going on. If they close down the mining, they lose a shit ton of money that they're making. That money they need to skirt U.S. sanctions. And skirting U.S. sanctions is kind of a critical deal for Iran. Let's, let's, come on, let's not fool ourselves, right? Um, so this is, that's the reason why I think that this may be just more FUD. We're going to have to wait a few days to figure out if this is a complete pile of horse pucky or if it's the God's honest truth and Iran is just going to shut down mining until September the 23rd or whatever, 22nd or 23rd. 
We'll have to wait and see. But until that time, let's ask the question <clears throat> if uh, Elon Musk is really Dogecoin's master. Greg Thompson has it out of Cointelegraph. Uh, Tesla CEO Elon Musk reminded Twitter followers on Tuesday that despite the recent interest he's taken in Dogecoin, that he still has no formal authority over the project. <laughs> Musk was replying to a comment from a Doge-themed account, which opined that he had taken to operating Dogecoin like one of his own companies and that he'd effectively become the project's CEO. Yeah, I know. You can just... Don't run into a tree laughing, okay? I'm supposed to be here so that you don't, you know, run into trees trying to read the news, but I can't help you if you're laughing your ass off. The comment framed Musk's influence as something to be celebrated, <laughs> but the self-proclaimed Doge father issued a reminder that he actually isn't the boss and that no one really answers to him. So at It's All Risky, the Twitter account, uh, says Elon Musk appears to be treating Dogecoin like one of his own companies. He's actively marketing Doge, engaging with the community, and using his engineering and leadership prowess to contribute to Doge development. With Elon as Doge CEO, we are in good hands. Oh, look, there's a little rocket ship emoji. Elon Musk comes back and says, Please note, Dogecoin has no formal organization and no one reports to me, so my ability to take action is limited, says sources. Continuing, the results of a recent survey conducted in Australia revealed that more than 50% of respondents believed Musk to be the inventor of Bitcoin, suggesting that his recent Dogecoin reminder might be as well judged. Dogecoin is a meme in the form of a cryptocurrency that was created for purely humorous reasons. It was not for purely humorous reasons. The people that created Dogecoin hated Bitcoin. And it wasn't just Bitcoin. They hated all cryptocurrencies. The mere idea of cryptocurrencies is what pissed them off, right? So this wasn't a humorous jab at cryptocurrency or Bitcoin in general. No, this was them making a statement that the supply is unlimited, especially, and that was directed at Bitcoin's 21 million market or 21 million coin cap, okay? <clears throat> what they were saying with Dogecoin was that, look, I can spin up a coin simply by forking. I can't remember where it came from. I want to say it, it was a fork of Litecoin. Um, and so, and that was sort of the deal is that Bitcoin or Litecoin is a fork of Bitcoin. Dogecoin is a fork of Litecoin. And Dogecoin forked Litecoin is sort of in a, in a bid to get people to understand that I can just fork Bitcoin forever. Therefore, there is no such thing as a 21 million coin cap. But that's where Jackson Palmer, and I can't remember the dude's name, the, the, the actual programmer behind Doge, that's where those, <clears throat> where those two guys got it completely wrong. We've seen Bitcoin forks. We've seen forks of forks of forks of forks. We've seen every ICO under the sun. Now we're dealing with NFT bullshit, and it still remains. If you think that you can send me Dogecoin to my Bitcoin address and it's just as good as Bitcoin, have fun burning your Dogecoin. Because your Dogecoin is not going to hit my Bitcoin address. It's just going to, I don't know what happens to it. I don't know if it returns to the Dogecoin wallet. I don't know if it errors right upon send. But my wallet, my Bitcoin wallet, will not accept your Ethereum either. Nor will it accept your Litecoin. Nor can you send any of the 9,000 piece of garbage projects that are polluting the environment right now. You can't send any of them to my Bitcoin or my Bitcoin wallet. If you want to send me Bitcoin to my Bitcoin wallet, Go right ahead, bro, because it'll hit it, and I would much rather have that. And therein lies the difference between shitcoins and Bitcoin. Yes, you can make the argument that because you can spin up any coin at any time, that therefore the value proposition of 21 million Bitcoin and only 21 million Bitcoin is false or at least not effective. However, what we've seen in the wild and in reality is that nobody really gives a shit about these other coins. And yes, the 21 million coin cap of Bitcoin is what is making the difference. So this was not a humorous, this, Dogecoin was not released into the wild as a humorous statement. Please, Cointelegraph, get that right. You got to go back into history to actually see what happened and you're not doing it. It's cute, and it is a meme coin, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was created 
from a humorous standpoint. It was actually created from a, I'm really pissed off. Anyway, after being launched in 2013, the joke eventually faded and the coin disappeared into relative obscurity until Musk stumbled across it in 2020, hoping, hopping on the bandwagon of a joke of the best part of a decade old. Musk's subsequent tweets were credited with pumping the value of Doge throughout much of 2021. Others have attributed blame to Musk for what is perceived as an irresponsible swaying of cryptocurrency markets. A petition on change.org was launched amid the market crash of mid-May demanding that Musk sell off his Bitcoin holdings and divest himself from the cryptocurrency sphere before his tweets cause more unwanted commotion. Yes, that's actually correct. There was, in fact, a... Uh, there was, in fact, a change.org petition, but again, a petition is much like the Bitcoin Mining Council. It don't do dick. <laughs> it just doesn't. None of this stuff matters, but dude, the only thing that matters is Bitcoin. I'm, I'm telling you, man, it, it is. Hey, let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids are down. Shiny metal rocks are up. West Texas Intermediate trading at 65, or the futures trading at $65.91. That is down one quarter of one point. Brent North Sea trading at $68.57. That is down, uh, what, 0.1%. Natural gas up 1.75%, almost reaching $3 per 1,000 cubic feet. Uh, gold is up <clears throat> almost half a point. <clears throat> Ooh, it hit $1,900. Peter Schiff, happy as a clam. $1,900 or $1,906 to be square here. Silver is at $28.18. That is a 0.46% rise. Platinum is up 0.6. Copper is up 0.6. And palladium is up a quarter of a point. Agricultural futures are mixed. Uh, no major movements, though, except that sugar is down 0.88 of a percent. Uh, let's see. Dow futures are up a quarter. S&P futures up a third. NASDAQ futures up 0.37%. S&P mini is up almost half a point at 0.45. Uh, <clears throat> Treasury bonds have changed. Of, but it's like negligible. Uh, like 30-year futures is up 0.04%. 10-year futures are flat. Five-year futures up 0.01. And the two-year futures uh, are up, uh, well, nothing. They're unchanged. They're flat. I can't wait till Janet Yellen introduces the 50-year treasury bond. I'm serious. She talked about it a while back. You never know what's going to happen. Real money. $39,624.40. We're making a making a little bit of gains here today. 219,000 transactions in the last 24 hours gives us right around 10,000 transactions on average per hour. This is a low transaction environment right now. Uh, 1.165 million BTC were sent in the last 24 hours. That's about 50,000 BTC being sent per hour on average. The average transaction value is 5.3 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.025 BTC, which is pegged right at about a grand. Block times are very high, 13 minutes and 35 seconds. I guess maybe the Iran news, no, I don't know. I don't know, that doesn't make any sense because the hash rate is, has only dropped a half, a half a percent. We're at 153 exahashes per second. So I don't know. I, this may be, this just may be some weird lag that I'm getting off of BitInfo charts. I don't know how they update their data, but it is a good, it's a good source of data. So that's why I use it. But this doesn't make sense because yesterday we were doing like, like 10 minute, 10 minute and 15 seconds and we were at like 155 exahashes. So who knows? Who knows? 0.79 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis, 84.4 BTC taken over all the last 24 hours in fees. Your shitcoin indicator being Dogecoin is at 32 cents. It was at 33 yesterday, so there's a sell-off on the Dogecoin front. Now there are 28,280 transactions waiting on 86 blocks to clear. We have a market capitalization down to $743.8 billion. We've captured 6% of gold's market cap. 
and you can now buy 20.9 ounces of shiny metal rock for one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,718,710.25. There are 1,361 of those BTC inside the Lightning Network. That has a capacity value of $54.0 million. Total number of nodes is 11,463 that we can see, and there are 46,535 channels that we know about. Percentage of Tor capacity on the, for the Lightning Network has hit yet another all-time high at 61.1%. There are 835.5 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, and that's being run over 5,000. 760 nodes that we know about. Now that 61.1% percentage, why are we seeing all-time highs? I suspect that new nodes that are coming online, that vendors, the software uh, that it's being shipped with uh, begins on Tor in, instead of having it default to ClearNet. I think what's going on is that the new nodes that are coming online are defaulting to Tor. That's why I think we're seeing this. And that's a good thing. We want to have as much Tor as we can get, although in the back of your mind, you should always wonder about the attacks on the Tor network, the fact that three-letter United States agencies are behind Tor development, in a very, like either by funding or, you know, like direct development. So you never know. However, they need Tor too, right? The CIA and the FBI, they, they kind of need that Tor network to be up and running. So... It's a it's a weird balance, and we'll just have to see where it goes. Let's see where Taproot's going. Hey, I got a solid green row for the very first time that I've ever seen one. What am I talking about? If you go to taproot.watch, you can look at the, the it's an, sort of like a, a graphical representation, but the green blocks are blocks being produced by miners who are signaling for Taproot. Red blocks are produced by miners who are not signaling for Taproot. And at the very first of this entire uh, uh, speedy trial thing, we were seeing basically just a sea of red. And now I'm seeing for the first time an entire row of green blocks that are uninterrupted by any red. It's a beautiful thing to see. So let's look at the mining pools and see what our percent signaling is. 97.22%. Most of the mining pools and all of the top mining pools are definitely signaling hardcore for Taproot. I suspect that we're going to get Taproot during the next uh, difficulty or, or mining epoch. So that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We start with Governor Jared Paulus wants Colorado to accept crypto for state taxes. Another another Kryptonian. I love it. Anyway, Coindesk. And who's writing it? Cyrus Rothwell Ferris is writing it. Colorado Governor Jared Polis said he's hopeful state residents can pay their taxes with crypto and he wants it to happen soon. Soon, TM. I'd be thrilled to be the first state to let you pay taxes in a variety of cryptos, he said on Tuesday at Consensus 2021. I believe he's LARPing. As a congressman, (coughs) Polis became the first politician to legally accept campaign donations in Bitcoin after a favorable 2014 FEC ruling in response to a senator who was more interested in banning Bitcoin than building a Federal Reserve structure to support cryptocurrencies Polis satirically suggested a ban on the U.S. dollar ha! by replacing each instance of BTC uh, in the senator's letter with dollar bills. Oh, nice. Good job, bro. I, I, can, I can accept that. Quote, the exchange of dollar bills, including high denomination bills, is currently unregulated and has allowed users to, to participate in illicit activity, he wrote. Since he trolled legislators on Capitol Hill, Polis has become the Rocky Mountain State's chief executive, and on Tuesday, he sounded excited to be at the forefront of accommodating legislation for crypto. Quote, Colorado is and will be the center for blockchain innovation in the United States, attracting investments and good jobs and innovators in infrastructure, digital identity, and individual data security in the private and public sector, he said. Let's put the brakes on right now. Colorado is not going to be a center for blockchain innovation. 
you're first of all you're too late second of all the majority of your constituency are are, are climate hysterics hystericists okay that's not going to happen colorado is a firmly blue state and nobody hates bitcoin like the climate hysterics and they all live well they don't all live in your state but a good guts and feathers of your population is basically the kind of bullshit that is never going to allow this shit to happen. Maybe paying taxes in crypto will happen, but mining innovation, blockchain innovation, all they're going to do is cry for your recall because Bitcoin destroys the planet. All right. So if you don't understand that, then I'm not exactly sure how you got to be governor, but moving on. One huge step would be to allow Coloradans to pay state taxes with digital assets. Pilots in other states haven't gone so well. In 2018, companies in Ohio were able to pay taxes through OhioCrypto.com with processor BitPay converting the Bitcoin payments to dollars for the treasurer's office. Arizona and Illinois considered accepting crypto for tax payments, but advocates failed to push through legislation. The Ohio program ended in 2019 under new treasurer Robert Sprague, who said that only 10 companies had used OhioCrypto.com <coughs> to pay taxes. A short-lived program in Seminole County, Florida, ended sometime after the county treasurer was arrested. With far more infrastructure for crypto today, however, the adoption of, ta of state tax payments seems much more plausible, and Polis sounded eager to be at the front of the pack. As a next step, he said he would speak to Colorado's Director of Revenue, Mark Ferdinandino. He also joked that Colorado has better nightlife than Wyoming, a neighboring crypto-friendly state, spurring a response from Wyoming's leading champion uh, in the blockchain community, none other than Caitlin Long. So apparently, here, here's, the, here's the thing. Uh, apparently, the, the, the guy says Colorado has better nightlife than Wyoming, jokes Governor Jared Polis at Consensus 2021. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So Caitlin Long is retweeting that one and says, not so. Wyoming's bars have been open while Colorado's have been shut for most of COVID. So many Coloradans drove up to Cheyenne just to dine and drink. P.S. Can't beat concert scene at Frontier Days or the bunkhouse where the hitching post still gets regular use. Burn. Oh, that's such a burn. They had to drive to Cheyenne. Yeah, and, and here, here's the thing. Last summer, okay, and let's see. Yeah, last summer and then the following Christmas, I was in Durango, Colorado, the, the area, southwest Colorado. And indeed, it's like a freaking ghost town. And Durango depends, like almost 90% of its revenue is absolutely dependent upon summer spring fall and winter tourism okay that town would blow away like a speck of dust and i'm not sure how it's surviving right now because the, the historic train has been closed down um, although it, it actually started some kind of limited operations last last summer or uh or dur rather during the winter they were still able to do their polar express ride trips in either event caitlin is caitlin is correct they locked up Colorado tighter than a drum and everybody was terrified. I mean, it's like the only people that weren't wearing masks were like, you know, were the tourists. But if you went to like the local Walmart where you knew that most of the residents were, it was like just a fear box, man. It was sad, really sad. Anyway, good for you, Caitlin, smacking down the Colorado governor like that. Banks are cautious about crypto ahead of COVID-19 testimony before the United States Senate. Helen Parts has it for Cointelegraph. Major Wall Street Bank, Street Bank executives will appear before the United States Senate Banking Committee on Wednesday to discuss the role of their financial institutions in the recovery of the American economy. Democratic lawmakers plan to grill a number of major bank executives whose firms saw record profits during the COVID-19 pandemic while average Americans struggle to make ends meet. In prepared testimonies posted on Tuesday, CEOs of Bank of America, Citigroup, and Wells Fargo described their respective banks' responses to major challenges such as inequality, diversity, climate change, and taxes, as well as how their banks handle cryptocurrencies. 
Okay, what the hell a bank has to do with climate change is beyond my reckoning. However, it's an example of the hysterics. Banks don't have shit to do with climate change. Hey, look, if they want to make a loan to somebody that's got a climate change responsive company, that's one thing. But the bank itself isn't going to say, I'm going to create an account and that account is going to stop climate change. Okay, so this is the level of hysteria that we're at, guys. Um, In his testimony... Bank of America CEO Brian Moynihan said that the bank is continuing to evaluate the benefits, risks, and and client demand for crypto-related products and services. Quote, currently, we do not lend against cryptocurrencies and do not bank companies whose primary business is a cryptocurrency or the facilitation of cryptocurrency trading and investment. Have fun staying poor, he said. Moynihan said that BOFA is also assessing new technologies like distributed ledger tech, which could potentially deliver value to the bank's customers. However, while BOFA holds over 60 blockchain patents, the bank still has not found a use case at scale, Moynihan said. Similarly, Citigroup CEO Jane Fraser also outlined a measured approach to crypto, stating that the bank will need to ensure clear controls and governance before engaging with cryptocurrencies. Quote, City is focusing resources and efforts to understand changes in the digital asset space and the use of distributed ledger technology, including demand and interest by our clients, regulatory developments, and technology advancements, Fraser wrote. Wells Fargo CEO and President Charles Scharf said that the company has been closely following developments around cryptocurrencies. Digital assets, quote, have emerged as an alternative investment product through their status as a currency and mechanism of payment remains fluid, Scharf noted. The executive also mentioned that Wells Fargo is preparing to roll out a pilot for a blockchain-based settlement service within the bank's global branch network. The Senate Banking and House Financial Services Committee will also hear from CEOs of J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, and Morgan Stanley. The latter two introduced limited crypto services earlier this year, while the former is reportedly mulling opening a crypto trading desk. So there you go. CEOs on the hill getting grilled. Somebody tell me what, what that actually does. Seriously. How many committee hearings have we, have we? We see them all the time. What do they do? Can somebody who's involved in politics actually tell me what, why are we spending the money to see a bunch of people sit in a room and talk at each other? Can't you do that shit over lunch and do we have to pay for it? That's, honestly, this doesn't do shit. I've never seen it, like, I've never seen it where it's like, okay, the world is much better after these people got out of that room. After Janet Yellen testified, all your problems are solved. No. So I don't understand what, I don't understand the, 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 the use case of a Senate banking and financial hearing. Hey, look, you guys are going to get in the room anyway and, and do your laws and your regulations. You don't need to hear from anybody because you don't really listen to them anyway. I don't, sorry, I'm going on about it and I shouldn't. Uh, Nebraska. Now, following Wyoming, Nebraska has signed a law to authorize state chartered banks to custody crypto. So, Good job, Caitlin Long. A crypto-friendly bill co-authored by a cryptocurrency firm and first introduced by Republican State Senator Mike Flood this January, it was signed into law today in Nebraska. The Nebraska Financial Innovation Act was one of Senator Flood's first initiatives, introduced scarcely two weeks after being sworn into office. It will authorize the regulation of digital asset depositories in the state by creating a new state banking charter tailored to digital asset-backed financial services. Republican lawmakers outnumbered Democrats almost two to one in the state legislature, which is 32 to 17, and numbers for this week's final vote were 46 to two, which means most of the Democrats came over and signed it. Signed into law's legislative bill 647, the act means that financial institutions can operate digital asset depository businesses for which Nebraska will provide charter, operation, supervision, and regulation under the terms of the act. These institutions can be chartered in the United States or by a foreign state agency. Telcoin, a telecoms-focused blockchain firm that operates services on the Ethereum network, has been actively involved in drafting the bill. 
The company found a ready partner in Senator Flood, who began the year by pledging to make Nebraska into a fintech hub and has a parallel initiative, the Transactions in Digital Assets Act, underway. He told reporters in January, quote, one of the things that we need to do is create high-paying, high-skilled jobs. We also need to create jobs that bring wealth into the community. I have been working with someone I've known for a very long time, and he's in the cryptocurrency business. <gasps> Name dropping there, bro. He has an interest in locating to Norfolk. There is a great opportunity in this area, end quote. Telcoin's press release today cites floods welcoming Telcoin to Nebraska and saying that, quote, this new charter sends the right message that Nebraska is open for business in this exciting new space. Ah, oh, God, put a tie on the suit speak, bro. While crypto custody was already permitted for federally chartered banks in the United States last July, the Nebraska Act will extend these rights to institutions chartered at a state level. The state of Wyoming is the only U.S. state to have preempted Nebraska in this regard, charting, chartering its first crypto bank back in September of 2020. Good, I guess, good news. The fact that it has something to do with Ethereum makes me kind of ill and nauseous at my stomach. But whatever, it is what it is. The, I've, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're hoping for the day that Ethereum disappears, you're going to be waiting a long time, which means that you better get used to it being around. I hate it. I don't like it. But... I, don't, I just don't want you spinning your wheels thinking that one day that Ethereum is going to go away. And for those who are screaming at me right now saying, yeah, but the two, like Ethereum 2.0 is going to fail, I suspect that it probably will. But we've how many fuck-ups on that chain have we seen? And nothing seems to happen to it. Is it idiots keep buying it. We have absolutely no idea how many coins there are going to be. Oh, that's okay. I still want my Ethereum even though I have no idea what your inflation policy is. Uh, we've changed monetary policies 12 times this year. I don't care. I'm too stupid to understand these things anyway. Please just give me my Ethereum. 25% uh, of the network went down because it's all centralized on Infura. I don't know what Infura is. How do I buy Ethereum? I'm serious, guys. This is the way this shit works. The way we think it should work is that all these things should scare even the most delicately placed you know, uh, delicate uh, uh, of ed educations in the space should, you know, th those people should be scared away by that kind of thing. But no, in fact, it's the opposite, apparently. Apparently what happens, the more you screw that up, the more people that flock to your banner. It's amazing that you can be so incompetent and so ruthlessly marketeering just to get people's money out of their wallet and put it into yours that they just flock to your banner under any circumstances whatsoever. It's sad, but it's true. That's why I don't think Ethereum is going anywhere, even if sharding completely fails, even if proof of stake proves to be a stake through the heart. I still think people are going to buy that shit. I won't. Anyway, DBS says Bitcoin affects stock markets and is no longer a fringe asset. Coindesk's, oh, Daniel Palmer has it. A new study from Singapore-based banking giant DBS indicates that the influence of Bitcoin has grown to the extent it now has the ability to affect stock markets during big price moves. Published on Tuesday, the research report titled Shifting Cross-Asset Correlations sets out to examine how different assets, including bonds, equities, Bitcoin, and gold, may influence each other's markets. Looking at data from November 2020, when Bitcoin experienced a major growth in market cap, DBS found that the top cryptocurrency has been positively correlated with the S&P futures uh, in every month since. The authors, chief economist Tamir Beg and credit and FX strategist Chang Wei Liang said, this means Bitcoin can be considered a risky asset, though they add that the average correlation is relatively low at 0.20. They also looked at whether extreme moves in Bitcoin could have knock-on effects on the stock market, finding that the correlation with S&P 500 futures rose to 0.26 during volatile events from just 0.19 in normal conditions. Quote, this suggests that broader equity statement or sentiment could become more coupled with sentiment in Bitcoin markets for a temporary period of time, 60 hours, post an unusually large move, the authors wrote. 
Other statistical tests backed up the data and showed that stock market volatility was markedly higher than normal after a big move in Bitcoin. As such, the authors concluded that, quote, Bitcoin is no longer the fringe asset that it once was and suggested market participants should monitor development in the Bitcoin market when conducting risk and sentiment monitoring. I don't know, guy. that's actually a pretty big deal. When you, when you get right down to it, if people are being, being suggested to that they actually monitor what the hell's going on with Bitcoin before they make their decisions in legacy finance, holy shit. <laughs> it means, that means Bitcoin is like scaring the piss out of some people. It's like, well, I just had this, this vision of Bitcoin outside in the rain next to a window of a house with a babysitter and one single, you know, one little kid watching horror stories on Halloween and it's just tapping on the window. Tap, tap, tap. And an entire hour and a half movie of horror unfold. I'm telling you, man, it's going to be even more scarier later on. Okay, what do we got here? What do we got here? Despite historic crash, most Bitcoin investors are indeed still in profit. Matthew DeSalvo has it for Decrypt.co. The Bitcoin market just suffered one of the worst crashes in its 12-year history. And yet, despite the massive drawdown over the last several days, most Bitcoin investors are still in profit. While it's true that the crash can be partly blamed on panic selling, most long-term holders aren't up for flogging their coins, according to Glassnode, whose latest figures show that 73.17% of all Bitcoin entities are still in the black. An entity is defined by Glassnode as a cluster of addresses that are controlled by the same network entity. In a report released this week, the firm noted that the Bitcoin market had just experienced the largest deleveraging event since the March 2020 sell-off. But when it was all said and done, the coin holders are at a loss, or the coin holders at a loss are largely buyers from the last three to four months, as you might expect. In other words, even though Bitcoin is currently trading at almost half its all-time high price of around $64,000, most investors got in well before the current levels of around $37,000. Quote, during this capitulation sell-off, however, the, the spending of one- to three-year-old coins was actually significantly less and declining as a proportion of total activity. This suggests that old hands did not panic sell nor rush for the exits. Data share with Decrypt also shows that during the sell-off, the amount of big whales uh, also increased from 85 to 90, meaning big-time investors saw this as an opportunity to snap up more Bitcoin. Still, there's no denying that last week was a tough one for Bitcoin. A combination of factors ranging from Elon Musk tweets to China regulatory news helped send the largest cryptocurrency by market cap crashing. Last week, it touched as low as 30 grand, which was 52% lower than its all-time high, which was reached back in April. All in all, however, the data appears to indicate that it was primarily people who are still very new to crypto investing that were shaken out of the market. There is no question that a large portion of the recent spending activity was driven by short-term hodlers, those owning coins purchased within the last six months, Glassnode said. And maybe there is something to be said for those diamond hands after all. Of course. Well, of course. Now, Canadians, not to be outdone in their hysteria, Helen Parts has it for Cointelegraph, uh, regulators accuse crypto exchange of breaking securities law. And this is after they basically adjusted their regulations. So insta rule, and then automatically they can go, you know, get somebody. So Canada, dude, it's getting bad in Canada. Canadian securities regulators have initiated a regulatory action against a major global cryptocurrency exchange, Poloniex. On Tuesday, the Ontario Securities Commission published a statement of allegations against Polo Digital Assets, also known as Poloniex, alleging that the firm has failed to comply with Ontario securities laws. According to the statement, Poloniex has never been registered with an agency while encouraging Canadians to use this platform and allowing Ontario residents to trade crypto derivatives and securities. Quote, Poloniex has never filed a prospectus with the commission or obtained an exemption for the prospectus requirement, the OSC said. As Poloniex is incorporated in the Republic of the Seychelles, the Seychelles Financial Services Authority has been assisting Canadian regulators in the matter, the OSC noted. The new action comes about two months 
after the OSC notified Ontario operating crypto exchanges that they must comply with local securities laws or face potential regulatory action, crypto firms were asked to contact the OSC until April 19, 2021 in order to discuss how to bring their operations as a dealer or marketplace into compliance. Quote, despite this warning, Poloniex did not contact the commission by April 19th or at any time to start compliance discussions, the regulator said. As such, the OSC enforcement staff requested that the commission should order Poloniex to cease trading in any securities or derivatives permanently or for a period specified by the regulator. The staff also requested to prohibit Poloniex from acquiring any securities and becoming a registrant as an investment fund manager. Poloniex will have to pay an administrative penalty of up to $1 million Canadian dollars for each failure to comply with Ontario securities law. The statement reads, Poloniex did not immediately respond to Cointelegraph's request for comment. Quote, to date, there, there is only one crypto asset dealer registered with Canadian securities regulators, the OSC said. And to date, there are more than 70 platforms that have initiated compliance discussions with Canadian securities regulators, the authority further noted. Now... They're in the Seychelles. Poloniex doesn't, is not in Canada, like nowhere close to it. And yet the authorities in the Seychelles are on their knees servicing Canada for whatever reason the authorities in the Seychelles think that they need to do so. It is not like Canada's going to float out a whole bunch of warships and bomb the shit out of the Seychelles. That's not going to happen. At one point or another, the, the, Countries, regionalities, you know, jurisdictions, they're you're gonna you guys are gonna have to learn that you are that you can you too can be sovereign, especially if you hold Bitcoin as your reserve currency or even something to peg your reserve currency to, if you have a reserve currency. But you're gonna have to learn sovereignty. You're gonna have to just get over the fact that if because the United States is mad at you. Or, or, well, the United States would scare the piss out of me. But Canada, dude, Canada's, they're too busy freaking out about COVID and, and climate emergency shit to actually be able to aim a gun at you properly. They're not going to come after you. Stop servicing Canada. Just tell them to go fuck off. I don't know why you're so scared to do that. It's Canada. It's not like you're telling Washington, D.C. that. Anyway, that's going to do it for the morning roundup. have a joke here from dad says jokes dad says jokes yeah dad, sorry at dad says jokes on twitter it's actually a pretty pretty good account i have the attention of goldfish seriously it's been watching me for hours if you want to help me with the show uh you are uh you can give me a five-star rating on uh, Apple iTunes. That seems to help quite a bit. Uh, tell your family and friends about it. You know, when, when I put out the uh, show notifications on uh, Twitter, you know, retweet them. Like them and retweet them because that helps actually quite a bit. Uh, and if you see it on social media um, or any other social media platforms, like I also posted to Instagram, if you happen to see it, boost it. You know, do whatever it is that you can. Give me, give me a hand. But the best way that you can help me is to listen to the podcast on the Breeze Wallet. Uh, Breeze, B-R-E-E-Z, is a lightning wallet. It is Bitcoin. Um, it is actually a pretty slick wallet. And it has a podcasting app right inside. And it, what we're doing here is we're doing the whole podcasting 2.0. So <clears throat> as you listen to this show... If, you're, if you have Satoshis in your Breeze wallet, you can opt to send me on a minute over minute basis or basically streaming me Satoshis at three, 10, you know, 100 Satoshis per minute. I recommend three. It's the lowest that I think it's the lowest you can get. It's the lowest I can, I can stream people Satoshis on my Breeze wallet. So I assume that's what it would be for you. <clears throat> but that way... I get the Satoshis. Now, where do the Satoshis run into? They run right into my Lightning node. No, they're not running into another wallet. Uh, well, they're running into a wallet, but it's not like a wallet that's on my phone. It's not like it's running into wallet of Satoshi or something like that. 
No, it's actually going to my my lightning full node, which is piggybacked on top of my Bitcoin full node. You have to have the Bitcoin full node to be able to do this. But the way that I've got it set up, <clears throat> when you stream me sats, it goes directly into my lightning node. It doesn't go to a third party. It will go through different channels and bounce, you know, so it finds its, so your Satoshi's finds its route to my node. But when it lands, it lands on my node. It doesn't land on a third party node that I'm renting that I then somehow or another, you know, sweep the Satoshi's off of. No, this goes directly from your custody to my custody in a peer-to-peer -peer fashion over the Lightning Network using almost no dirty, nasty, icky, earth-killing energy. Yeah, the hysterics are getting bad and you're going to have to deal with it. But until then, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.